0: Hello and welcome back to another episode of Beyond the To-Do List. I am your host, Eric Fisher, and this is the show where I talk to the people behind the productivity. This week, I'm sharing a conversation I had with Jason Harris. He is the CEO of the award-winning creative agency Mechanism and also co-founder of the Creative Alliance. He has a brand new book out called The Soulful Art of Persuasion, The 11 Habits That Will Make Anyone a Master Influencer. And that's what we talk about in this conversation. We talk about the word persuasion. We talk about the word influence and influencer, though not necessarily that kind of influencer, the word that gets thrown around a lot lately with people online and taking you know, selfies on Instagram. That's not necessarily what we're talking about here. We're talking more about the dirty word of persuasion in terms of getting people to do Not just what you want them to do, but what maybe they need to do, or what you mutually both need to do together. And we talk about the four principles of being a master influencer. And we can all agree that part of productivity is not just getting other people to do what you say they need to do, or that you know they need to do, although that might be presumptuous, but especially in a leadership position, this is very helpful. It's also helpful to know how to be a master influencer of yourself. Taking some of these principles and applying them to your own influence on yourself can be very helpful as well. So I'll get out of the way and just say, enjoy this conversation with Jason Harris. Well, this week, it is my privilege to welcome to the show, Jason Harris. Jason, welcome to Beyond the To-Do List.
1: Thanks for having me, Eric. I'm excited to be here and chat with you.
0: Glad to have you here. This is a topic that, you know, I don't know that we've necessarily touched on in the past with this show. We're talking about influence, which is a buzzword for a lot of people, but also persuasion. And I think a lot of people are like, wait, why are you talking about that on this show? Well, there's a reason. But before we get to that, actually, no, let's go there now let's go there now. Why not? I'm uh sure. You know, I mean, again, the term influencers thrown around a lot these days. It's the brunt of a lot of jokes that you'll see on like sitcoms, things like that, or even drama. And also the word persuasion can sometimes be seen as a dirty word that you're coercing someone, that you're manipulating someone. All those words, persuasion, manipulation, coercion, even influence aren't bad words in and of themselves, right? It's just that they've grown to be synonymous with people using them for bad things or or misusing them, let's say that. So I'm curious, what is your definition of persuasion and influence? Why is it important we re-clarify or redefine what those means or get back to the real meaning of those words?
1: Yeah, it's true. And I think that's, you know, in the... Soulful art of persuasion, it's the word soulful, which is a very positive word right off the bat, mixed with that juxtaposition of persuasion, which is viewed, as you say, a bit of a, of a dirty word. When you think of persuasion, you typically think of someone convincing you of something that you normally wouldn't want to do, right? And I don't think it should be a dirty word. I think persuasion is really the idea of being a more persuasive person is really based on personal character and having really strong character attributes makes you more persuasive. And when you're more persuasive, you then become a more influential person in maybe your job, your career, your personal life, and maybe your community. And so those two words go together. And I believe that You have to be more persuasive in your daily life to get to your end goals, whatever those might be. And persuasion really is based on personal character. That's what makes people more persuasive in what they do. And I think we live in a world, whether we like it or not, of micro moments of persuasion all day long, whether you're persuading the company you work for that you want to be fully remote. Or you're persuading your boss that you want a promotion. Or you're starting something and you're persuading clients to take a chance on you. Or you're persuading your spouse to go on the trip that you want to go on and he or she wants to go somewhere else. Or out to dinner or to the movies, whatever. We have these sort of micro moments all day long of persuasion. So we can't really put our head in the sand and ignore it. We have to kind of face it head on and try to really explore be more persuasive ourselves and some of the most important achievements in human history were made possible by the act of persuasion and even today with what's happening uh, you can see Steve Kerr do a persuasive speech about wanting to have stricter gun laws and you know whatever your stance is on guns i think there you know 90% of the country believe it should be harder to get a gun not that we should ban guns but that there should be a waiting period before you're allowed to get a gun that is a persuasive thing that's happening in our society today, right now. And the most persuasive person that can lead that charge is maybe going to make change. We'll see.
0: Yeah. And we're using the word persuasion and we're talking about swaying somebody to a maybe a specific viewpoint or getting them to acknowledge that there's another viewpoint that may have some merit to it. What we're really talking about is clear or clearer communication overall, right?
1: Yeah. We're talking about clear communication and we're talking about exhibiting over time, personal characteristics and attributes that make people influential. And sometimes you're bringing out, you're persuading someone to something that they might already feel, but you're approaching it in a way that helps them understand it. But it comes from who's doing the persuading. That's really what it comes down to. And if you're a trustworthy, transparent, honorable person, you're going to be able to persuade people much easier than if you're a transactional, narcissistic, egomaniac, you're going to have a much harder time persuading people, especially in the long run.
0: I love that you mentioned the word soulful already, hinting at the title of the book. And the title of the book is The Soulful Art. So I love that it's not just soulful, but it's a soulful art. Of persuasion. Yeah. And the subtitle, even more so, the 11 habits that will make anyone a master influencer. And I think, again, talked a little bit about this already with the word persuasion. The word influencer is thrown around a lot these days, and so is persuasion. But like a lot of people hear that word influencer and they think of somebody who's like an always on promoting themselves, pushing themselves. It's less of a persuade you that I'm awesome and you should do what I say. It's more of a, I'm stating a fact over and over again, and I don't care what you think. It's not soulful at all. How do we switch from that? How do we get away from that? How do we move towards switching that perspective on influence and persuasion from a negative to a positive?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. And sort of the asterisks when I think of the habits that make you a master influencer, I'm not talking about you're going to have a million YouTube subscribers you know, or you're going to be big on Instagram. That might be part of you building your own brand or identity, but it's really about being influential and an influencer in your organization or leading a company or whatever you feel like you'd be better served influencing in your personal life or in your professional life. And so that's what I mean by influencer. And so, you know, that can be a little bit misconstrued, but that's really what it's meant. And when you're more soulful. It really means that you have personal standards and values, and taking that and putting that next to persuasion is, is how you become more influential. But it's striving to be better, motivating others. It's thinking about the community. It's not thinking about yourself or thinking about the organization at large. It's not how do I get promoted as quick as I can and make a bunch of sales and do whatever I have to do. It's much bigger than that. It's sort of taking a bigger viewpoint. And that makes you a more persuasive person because you're constantly thinking about the community or the culture that you sit within. And you're not just thinking about your own, you know, financial or personal gain.
0: And I think that there is, again, it goes along with that stereotype of a quote, influencer, where they are just bowling people over or In other words, they want the leads. They don't care how good they are. They just want people to convert, so to speak, and then to leave them in their wake.
1: Yeah, that's exactly right. And we know those people because we've worked with those people, you know, and we know those people that everyone turns to for advice and counsel in a company because they're sort of like a rock and they set the standard and they're the culture and they're trustworthy and they're not gossipy and they don't create extra drama and we know that they operate at a higher level. And what ends up happening is those persuasive people, they end up becoming leaders in organizations faster. It's easy for them to rally support because people trust them versus other people that are sort of faux persuasive. And they feel you feel like they're saying the thing at the right time, but they don't really mean it. And you can't fall back on their value system. And so a lot of this persuasion and the soulful persuasion really comes down to having a personal code and a personal value system that you really don't waver from. And so what I put in the book were sort of four values that have helped me build my own business and that I believe in and that I've had to learn over time. Like I didn't necessarily come out of the womb as like a generous person. You know, I was not a generous person. Like that's not my genetic makeup. I had to learn how to be a generous person because I knew that made me a more trustworthy, persuasive person. And it it ends up feeling good and it, it fuels you. But those are some skills like some of these sort of macro principles that I have in the book. I had to learn those skills over time and I learned them by failing by not doing them. You know, I learned them by following my natural instinct, which led me to a lot of either people quitting or failing or, you know, not finding me to be the leader that they want to be. So a lot of trial and error. Still searching for a great candidate
0: for your company? Don't search. you bring up generosity and there are four principles in the book, generous being one of them, original, generous, empathetic, and soulful. And then also there's obviously the 11 habits that will make anyone a master influencer. I'd love to break down the four principles and then also talk a bit about the 11 habits interspersed. You just started with generous. Why not start there?
1: Let's do it. So yeah, generous is really this idea of kind of habitually giving without expecting anything in return. And it could certainly be gifts. You know, like for me, whenever I read a book that I love, I always buy a couple copies and I kind of have them hanging around. And when I've talked to someone who's maybe going through something and I'm like, oh, I sent him a book and I'm like, this might help the thing you're going through. I collect a lot of records. If I buy a great record, I might buy it, but I don't know who I'm going to give it to. I just kind of have it hanging around. And then in conversation, Really think about. So part of it might be physical gifts, but that's a very minor part. A lot of being a generous person is giving people advice, giving people opportunities, doing introductions, connecting people to other people. If you ask me some good people for your show, I would certainly, you know, find those people for you. So that's what I mean by generous. And you don't get the impression that that you're only looking out for yourself. You're sort of looking at the bigger picture. And then you start to build a much bigger, stronger network because of this generous sort of idea. And when I started my company and there were other people working in my same industry, I work in the advertising industry, my contacts and my clients and maybe production people that would make, you know, commercials for us or social media folks or influencers that we would hire for projects. I would keep those contacts like. I would hoard them. I would keep them like all to myself. And I realized that's super limiting because you're not getting connections back. And when I started being generous, giving people, if they ask me for advice, giving them a half hour conversation or counsel, giving away those contacts, connecting people freely, not worrying about where it was going to end up, it kind of pays back with compound interest because you're putting good things out into the world and you're not... Courting it. You're being generous by nature and that builds your character. But that's a skill for me. I had to really learn. Like it didn't come naturally to me in starting a business to just start giving people my time and giving things away. And I had to really build that habit by practicing it over time. And when you do that, that's really when your business or you're at another company where things can really take off because you're You're looked at in a different way by being a generous person. So that's one thing, for example, I had to learn.
0: I've heard a number of leaders kind of address slash have friction with this, especially when it comes to being generous at scale and how productive that can or can't be. There's a certain threshold where it's like, you know, Jason, if you were to just say, oh, I'm going to be generous and open that anybody and any and everybody that asks me for my time, you know, anybody wants to have a coffee or pick my brain that I'm just going to say yes. And I'm going to say one personal experience. I say the more of those that you can do, the better within reason, obviously, because if you just fill your hours with that, then you're never going to get down to the work that you need to do. However, if you can structure your time, your day, your opportunities, even a calendly link where it's like, hey, I have room for two of these a week or you know, whatever works for you, that you give that link to them and then they schedule it and you've got it kind of parsed out and at a cadence that's not taking time from your highest priority stuff. I think you're also saying you want to make sure that you keep in mind making a priority of being generous.
1: Yes, I mean, we're on a podcast about productivity. So (laughs) the way I set that up, I'm like uh, a black hole of time. But what you can do is say, you know, I'm lucky enough I have an assistant that helps me schedule stuff, you know, which I didn't always have before. But you can say, All right, I have two half hour blocks a week and I can fill those blocks. It's Tuesday at eleven and Thursday at twelve, whatever it might be. I'm gonna fill those half hour blocks. I'm gonna block them off. And when someone says, Can you talk to my kid who's applying to marketing job in college and give him some advice? I can say, Yes, in two weeks I have a opening. Or if it's you know, somebody working in starting another agency that says, hey, I'm struggling with billing. How do I do billing? I'll give them one of my slots. So it's not endlessly filling your time with it. It's really having it measured out, organized, and then you fill those slots. And if you don't fill all the slots, you can use that time doing something else. But it's having those blocked off and say, hey, yeah, these are my buckets of giving away counsel and advice. And that's what I have. And I'm not going to add four more, I'm going to have those 100-something slots a year, and that's what I have. And if you have a down week, maybe you can add some more, but that's the way I do it. And I also have other slots that I block out to reach out to people in my network that I've maybe lapsed client or someone I haven't talked to in a while. I use those time slots, which I usually block out like one day, kind of three slots in a row, and I'll think about maybe an elapsed friendship or someone in my network I haven't talked to in a while I'll use that time to you know either craft an email to them or set up a call or reach out to someone and, you know keep the network alive not let relationships drop to zero so I'll use my time productively like that it's all about scheduling if you try to freestyle it it'll become like a, a disaster and so I had to learn that element of it as well
0: Yeah. So that's one aspect of generosity and being generous. What's another main piece here when it comes to being generous in terms of persuasion and
1: influence? I think you want to be the type of person, this I didn't have to learn. This was natural for me, but another attribute of being generous is practicing positivity and cultivating a sense of gratitude for the people that you work with, for the interactions that you have in your life you know, writing down in a journal, three things every day you're grateful for, which takes about a minute of your day. It starts to put into your head what you have to be grateful for. And if we focus a lot of our energy on the things that aren't going right and not focusing on the things that are going right, it's a kind of a misallocation of your time. And so being a positive person and a grateful person is another attribute of generosity in my mind. So that's another one that i I try to keep in mind always,
0: okay, so that's generous. We've got four other principles here. Let's jump back to original. What does original being original
1: mean so original to me is like the building block of of everything in in the skillful persuasion sort of hierarchy because when you are original and you're yourself, that allows you to connect with other people, and in order to be original, you really have to understand who you are, who your role models are, your value system, you can be vulnerable and let your idiosyncrasies show and talk about what you're into, what you like, and it allows other people to also be vulnerable so you have a deeper connection. So I think it comes down to like, be yourself, everyone else is taken. That's the general philosophy of original. And don't be afraid to show who you are and the things you're into. And try not to have, you know, Eric's podcast personality, personal life personality, and your work personality. Try to have all those things in harmony where you're always Eric. And that helps you become more persuasive and more influential because everyone knows what they're going to get from you and not, wow, he's so much different at work. And I went to a barbecue at his house and he's like a whole different person that I don't really get. Cause that makes people not trust you also. But I think that Is really the cornerstone of building that character that people will want to follow and be inspired by. Is really you knowing who you are, and you're not afraid to talk about, you know, experiences you've had in your life, where you're coming from. Another big factor of that, another big habit, is learning to be a good storyteller, and that's really important to connect with other people. Stories from your life, experiences that have shaped you, and why, how you connected to your parents, what that relationship is like, books that informed who you are, why that book meant something to you. Not just, I love that book. That book meant something to me because of X, Y, and Z. Or your favorite movie. I love this movie because of X, Y, and Z. Or role models that have inspired you, mantras, quotes, things like that help you become a good storyteller and let people understand you on a deeper level. And that stuff is within all of us. But sometimes we don't take the time to write it down or dissect it or think about why that thing connected to us. We don't take that extra step. We just sort of go top level on it. And I think it's like a level deeper to really understand ourselves.
0: Yeah, really understanding why something resonates with us. Like, I'll just give a really good example. I've got two examples, actually. One is when it comes to movies, it's not my favorite, but it is one that I rewatched recently with my son, and it was Guardians of the Galaxy 2. And I just kept going through that movie and thinking, why does this movie hit me so hard every time I watch it? One, it's so funny, but two, it's got like brother-sister relationships, brother-and-brother brother relationships, father-to-son relationships, family relationships, and it's just so complex and well done in that way. And it just really resonates with me for that reason. I love that. So there you go. And I know why, right? Like, I, I didn't just sit there and like, this movie's so good. End of story. No, I know why. I'd actually love to dive in and talk with people about that. Not here, not right now. But
1: so much of that too is like the father son relationship, you know, and mm-hmm. and how that is, you know, trying to always get noticed and impress our dad is like, yes, you know, very human characteristic that I I, I think there's a lot of depth to that film for sure.
0: Yeah, one of the things that you were also mentioning. Brought to mind a story from my life, a personal experience, 30 seconds here, where I was in, not this last time, but the time before that, I was in jury duty. And during the process of being in the jury and, you know, presiding over it and everything like that, I just kept thinking, you know what? I want to, from this point forward, live my life in a way that anybody who knows me or knows of me will know that, like, if I was ever like, Put on trial or something, they'd be like, "Oh yeah, there's no way he could have done this. I know him, I know who he is, or his character, and all of that, right?" So
1: that's awesome. Yeah, I love that. I connected with, when you talk about yes. So see, this is what happens, right? You're sharing a story. I'm sharing a story. This is like a real life example. But for me, I always think about the original Blade Runner was like one of my favorite movies, yeah, of all time. And there's this like. 42 word monologue that the character who's dying at the end, you know, he's the, uh, uh, oh man, what were they called? Replicants. Replicants. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, they're called replicants. But it's like this tears and rain speech about all the things that this replicant had seen. And he ends up keeping the human alive, which, you know, we thought was a human. But it's basically reminding ourselves, you know, how precious human life is. And that replicants see it so much that they want to become humans. You know, they want to live the human experience and that that's so powerful. And that sometimes we don't think about the preciousness of the life we've been given. And I always go back to like, I used to have it memorized, but I always go back to like, it's called the tears and rain monologue. But I always go back to that whenever I'm like, yeah, man, we need to be more grateful for being here. Like even the replicants wish they were us, you know, and they're like more powerful than we are. All right, I got I got a little nerdy there. You no,
0: know? no, I'm, I did not anticipate talking Guardians of the Galaxy and Blade Runner on this episode. I know that made me think about. So that. glad like, we did. I loved,
1: um, so yeah, glad yeah, we did. Good.
0: And and in fact, that actually kind of takes us to these other two principles of being empathetic and soulful. Let's jump in on empathetic.
1: Yeah, so empathetic is really you know it's it's an obvious one when you're thinking about persuasion to have a natural curiosity about other people and to. Get past the small talk and really engage in things that matter. Really, really understand. Okay, well, why do you have that point of view? You know, if you're trying to get consensus at a company, tell me why you have that point of view, not just I don't like that idea. You know, what's beneath the surface? What's deeper? You know, a big part of being empathetic is understanding that the human condition is shared and that we all for the most part, have the same needs and the same goals. And it's sort of going in with that understanding versus we're all so divisive and so different. And it's it's really trying to collaborate more, make it about the other person, not just make it about what you're trying to do. It might be backing down from a stance because now that you understand their point of view, yeah, that makes total sense. But it's trying to find common ground. And approaching everyone with respect and as if they're an equal and they have equal point of view, even if you might be their boss or might be someone that works for you. And I think that's a another skill that you can learn and take the energy to collaborate with others, understand their point of view more, and really uh, find the common ground.
0: There's the phrase, you know, pick your battles. But what if sometimes we realize there's not even battles to be had? It doesn't have to be a battle. It's a relationship.
1: I love that. Yeah, because I think I think we often go into meetings as if we're preparing for a battle, mm-hmm. you know, because we're trying to get someone on, on our side and it doesn't have to be a battle. It could be a conversation where you're trying to clearly articulate why you feel a certain way and then try to find out. And it's not, I'm going to out argue you, you know, I'm going to, whatever you're going to say, I'm going to tell you why that's wrong. It's more of like, here's my point of view. Let me really listen to your point of view. And then let's see if there's some agreement we could come to. And it's so simple, but as as people, we normally don't do it. You know, we go in, we kind of hear ourselves. And, you know, you find this in your relationships, right? In your personal relationships, when you're in an argument with your significant other or friend or whatever it might be, you just sort of keep saying the thing that you're thinking over and over. And do you think that repetition is going to convince them? But it it actually doesn't. The way to convince them is to really understand where they're coming from, say that back to them, say where you're coming from, and then maybe say something that, that's in between. So that idea of empathetic is as simple as listen and try to find the common ground. Mm-hmm.
0: And the thing that strikes me is this, the words we use matter. When we frame it as we're, quote, going into this meeting and it's a battle versus a conversation and We frame it that way. We go in with weapons instead of words and empathetic nature.
1: Word choice is critical. I don't agree versus I understand your point and how you see it that way. What if we looked at it this way? You know, that automatically disarms them versus this idea of like, no, I don't, I don't, I don't agree. We can't do that. You know, and we can't do it because it's just not going to work, you know? You need to go deeper than that. And you need people to come out of a conversation not feeling like they lost, but feeling like they came out understanding the choice and why it's moving forward. This is about productivity. Sometimes that empathetic idea can take longer, right? It can take some extra beats in a process, but it also pays off in the long run because you took that extra step And every time you do that, you're building more people trusting you and understanding you and wanting to come to you with their points of view versus he or she never listens or they're going to do what they want anyway. So why should I even bother? That's not going to be useful in any aspect of your life.
0: So we already mentioned the word soulful as part of the title of the book. It's also one of the four principles in the book. What can we say about Being soulful that we haven't mentioned yet in terms of this conversation?
1: So, I look at soulful, it's almost synonymous with being inspirational. And when you're inspirational, you have a more sort of personal authority because you're respected maybe in a different way. And really, for me, soulful comes down to two aspects. When we're thinking about being inspirational, it's striving to do something outside of yourself. In your personal life, so it could be a cause you believe in. It could be applying a skill that you have to giving back to the community. There's a lot of different ways it, it can go. For me, it's using my skill of marketing and advertising to do pro bono work for, you know, getting people to vote or raising money for kids in need. But it's using the same skills that I have that I'm getting paid and start a business for, to do some things beyond selling deodorant and sneakers. And that allows me to attract more clients. It allows the people that work at the company to feel like they're doing good. And it creates this more inspirational culture and anyone can do it. We all have skills. You know, your skills might be you're a great podcaster, you know, social media well, and you can apply one of those skills to, I really believe in helping the homeless or combating climate change or helping people read, whatever it might be, helping people learn new skills, talk about themselves. You can apply that in a small way and you donate some of your time. I know it's all about productivity. This is an important thing. You donate some of your time or a day, a year or an hour a week to whatever that one thing is. That makes you a more soulful person. You have stories to tell and you feel like you're doing something outside yourself. That's one part of it. The other part of soulfulness is finding new skills and to always be learning. That makes you a more skillful person, which makes you more influential. And so I have this thing that I've been doing called skill hunting. Every two or three years, I'll focus on one new skill to learn. So everyone inside of us is like, man, I always want to be a photographer. Man, I always want to be a cook. I never have time to become a good chess player, whatever it might be. It's, personally saying, all right, the next three years, uh, like for me, I always wanted to learn how to box. So I set aside, all right, for the next three years, that's going to be like my side passion that I'm going to focus on. And I'm going to start from zero. I'm going to go through the sucky part. I'm going to come out the other side, you know, semi-skilled. It's like I'm going to be a professional boxer or I'm not going to become you know, a famous chef. But then during COVID, my next thing was I never learned how to cook. I'm going to learn how to cook. And it's just becoming a little bit skillful at it, going through the sucky part, coming out the other side and, you know, becoming proficient in more things. And you do that. It's a productivity podcast. So you do that over focusing on one extra thing for a period of time. And when you feel like you've learned enough of it, you still All right, Now I kind of know how to cook. I still box sometimes. But now I'm going to move on to learning three chords on the guitar. But it's not trying to do like 12 things at once. It's really systematically becoming, you know, skillful. So I call it skill hunting because, you know, you write down a list and you're like, for the next two years, I'm going to focus on this thing. I always wanted to focus on to just be a little proficient at it. And that's one way to tackle it versus, well, I'm never going to learn how to play chess because I should have done it when I was younger. or you know, I, that kind of window past. It's like, no, no, my next thing can be, I'm going to read some books on chess and play online and, you know, devote a little bit of time so I know, you know, just enough to be dangerous at it. And so that's one view that I have. So skill hunting and trying to be an inspiration might seem like extra time on the books that people don't have, but it pays off in the long run and you can do it by balancing your time.
0: Well, and, and I would say if you can schedule the time in your calendar, you know, your days, your weeks to consistently have practice on whatever that skill hunting designated thing is that you've got. The other key piece would be find something that's not screen related. If you're always on screens for your day job and make it a healthy escape, a habit and a hobby that really enriches you in a soulful way.
1: Yeah. I mean, it can be something as simple as like, all right, in the next year, I'm going to walk whatever, 50 or a hundred miles. Yeah. Like that's the thing I'm going to do. And I'm going to listen to podcasts or music or just be alone with my own thoughts. I'm going to do it alone. It could be something that simple. I, I love that idea of like, yeah, it probably shouldn't be. I'm going to be on Instagram an extra five hours, yeah. you know,
0: <laughs> or I'm going to watch all those TV shows and movies that I didn't. It's like, come on, you, you, that's great and all, but like read a book instead In my instance, I, over the pandemic, about a year in, it was the Christmas of 2020, I got a bass guitar. I started going through the lessons, kind of got off track. I think I'm picking up from this conversation. I want to pick that back up and skill hunt with that again. So skill
1: hunt with that and just say bass is my, for two years, I'm going to learn bass. And then all your extra time is put into that. But you don't, you're not like, I have to do this for 10 years. And, and I can't do anything else. I can't start my master Lego, you know? No,
0: that's time. I'll do with my son. And yeah. I've got like Boba Fett's ship. I've got to pull out and we've got to put that together still to put on my shelves. Yeah, back exactly.
1: Here. So exactly. Uh, yeah. And then you tell people about it, like, Hey, my goal is I'm going to learn this thing. And people are like, Oh wow, that's cool that you're doing that. Cause I wouldn't have thought to do that. And then the extra thing, that inspirational thing Is really, it seems daunting, but it's really not that hard because all of us have four or five skills. If you write down four or five skills you have on the left column, four or five things that you care about in the world, and you look at that list long enough, you'll find something you can apply your skills to in a measured, reasonable way. You might even be able to get your company to support it.
0: Speaking of companies, so you've got one. You're the CEO and co founder of Mechanism, a creative advertising agency. It's award winning. I'm curious. One, I want people to be able to go find out more about that as well as the book, but can you put those two things together? How are you at Mechanism living out the book?
1: Yeah, so Mechanism's the agency, I started about 16 years ago, and the book really came from my entrepreneurial journey. There's a lot of failures in there. But how I learned that these skills and these habits, that's what really helped the company take off. And I had to learn them over time, but that's really why I wanted to put that down and write the book because I wanted people to fast forward their knowledge and sort of get to where I got to over that, you know, 16 year period and for them to just get it right from the start. And it's not a book about like, you have to start a business. It's a book about if you want to be successful within an organization, and you want to be more influential in that organization, these are what I find to be the skills that are most important. And here's how to do it. It's kind of like a blueprint. So I wish uh, I had known that when I started early in my career because I had to learn it, a lot of it the hard way. So that's really why I wanted to create the book.
0: So the book is a product of the lived out experience of you and Mechanism.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I started learning... Like the original one, I was naturally doing that from the start. But I was maybe a different person at work, a different person in my personal life. I had to bring those two things together. So there was always improvements. But like generous, I was not a generous person at all. I've become way more successful by implementing that. I was sort of empathetic. (laughs) You know, maybe not. I always kinda had the skill hunting thing and I guess overall, I was maybe more focused on the self than the community or the larger culture or the organization. And as I started to change that and added more of these steps in, that's really when things started to become more successful.
0: So in wrapping up here, one, where can people find out more about Mechanism? But two, where's the best place for people to dive a little bit deeper and find out more about the book?
1: So the book website is the Soulfulart.com. com. mechanism is just M E K A N I S is, is our, the agency website. And you can find out more there and you can contact me. I'm at Jason underscore Harris on uh, Instagram and Twitter. If you want to make a connection.
0: Perfect. Jason, I get the feeling especially because of what came up geek wise as we were talking that we could have a much longer and deeper conversation about a lot of different things. And hopefully that'll be something we get to do sometime. But in the meantime, we'll stop now and I'll just say it's been great talking with you and I hope everybody enjoyed this. Thank you so much for being here.
1: Thanks for having me. It was a blast.
0: Well, that's another podcast crossed off your listening to do list. I hope that you enjoyed this conversation with Jason Harris. I know I did. Don't forget, you can jump in on the show notes for this episode. Click through in the links there to grab The Soulful Art of Persuasion, The 11 Habits That Will Make Anyone a Master Influencer. You can grab that book there. You'll also find the link there to jump on over to Blinkist and check out the shortcast episodes of Beyond the To-Do List. There are over 75 shortcast episodes there. They're all in 7 to 10-minute length, and it's a great way to get a quick productivity boost on the go. Again, that's beyondthetodolist.com slash Blinkist, or click the link in the show notes. If you found this podcast episode helpful, I'd love for you to do me a favor of sharing this episode with somebody you know needs to hear it. Head on over to beyondthetodolist.com, hit that share button on the show notes, or in your podcast player app of choice, wherever you're listening to this. Thank you again for sharing. Thank you so much for listening, and I will see you next episode.